Okay, we are in the story of who? Moses, yay, we've all been paying attention. Um, <laughs> good, we're at his birth story this morning. Um, and what happens in Moses' birth story is uh, the story in miniature of what's going to happen to the Israelites as they go through the story of Exodus. Sorry, excuse me a second. I'm always faffing around with this. I actually remembered a belt today. Usually I don't, and then I end up holding it. Okay, not that you need to know about all these things. <laughs> it's probably going to fall off if it does, Bella. Okay, oh, there we go. I even have the belt. <laughs> They're not made for ladies' clothes, I tell you. Um, right, don't know where I'm going with that. Okay, let's start again. Exodus chapter 2. You can all turn there while I'm just sorting myself out. Okay, it's all good. It's all good. Exodus chapter 2. Right, so yeah, what happens with Moses in miniature is going to happen with Israel in, uh, on the big stage uh, as we go through the book of Exodus. And um, it's a fascinating birth story for so many reasons. It connects backwards to the stories of Noah and Abraham. Uh, it points forwards to Israel and to Jesus' life and what he's going to do. And we're going to look at some of these interesting details as we go through today. And I'm hoping that you will see that God writes beautiful stories and he writes them with unexpected people. He writes beautiful stories. Someone said this morning that God has a good purpose for your life. It's true. It's absolutely true. He has a good purpose for your life. He writes beautiful stories. Even when you can't see a way ahead, God can see a way ahead. And I'm really encouraged that this morning, the words that were spoken, that were brought, just line in with, with what I'm going to bring to you. So thank you, Jesus. So Exodus chapter 2. To set the scene, um, the Israelites then are the people called by God. It's God's family. So God chose Abraham and Sarah, and he promised them as many descendants as the stars in the sky. He promised them that when they had no children and they were past childbearing age. So this had to be a miracle. God then gave them a miraculous son, Isaac, who had a child, Jacob, who had 12 sons. Jacob and his family end up down in Egypt because the promised land that God had taken Abraham to, the land of Canaan, experienced famine. So they come down to Egypt and the first pharaoh in Egypt, he welcomes them. It's great, I'm so glad you're here. Here, have some, have some land. I recognize that you are a blessing to me. This is wonderful. But 400 years later, and there's a new pharaoh, and he's not seeing that these people are a blessing because God is doing what he said he would do for Abraham. He's multiplying them. And there are many of them. And he sees this as a threat. And so this pharaoh then decides, no, I need to oppress these people in case they rise up against me. So the first way of oppressing them, he tries to give them hard labor. But they still multiply. That doesn't work. So then he says, right, I'm going to act shrewdly. I'm going to be cunning like a snake. And he's, he's depicted as the serpent king. He says to the midwives of the Hebrews, he says, come. He says, right, um, when you help people in labor, if they're a boy, don't let them live. But if they're a girl, let them live. But the midwives are courageous, as what Norman preached on last week, and they outsmart him because they fear God more than they fear Pharaoh. So that didn't work. So then he says, right, all those baby boys, just throw them in the Nile. Just throw them in the Nile. It's brutal. It's horrible. So this is where we're at with Moses' birth. Exodus chapter 2. Now a man from the house of Levi, that's one of uh, God's people, he's an Israelite, went and took as his wife a Levite woman. 
The woman conceived and bore a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it, placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. That's the Nile River. And, as, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. She picked it up. Um, when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, he was crying. And she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. I'm just going to pray. Father God, I thank you for this scripture. I thank you for this story. I pray that you'll help me to uh, speak about it today and that what you have planned this morning, Holy Spirit, you will be doing among us, we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is a remarkable story. Uh, Pharaoh was afraid of the boys or the girls. The boys, he wanted the boys to die. He thought the girls weren't a problem. And yet at the beginning of Exodus, he gets outsmarted by five women. Don't underestimate women. <laughs> he gets outsmarted by five women. You've got the two midwives, Shula and Pua. Then you've got um, Moses' mother and sister, Jochebed and Miriam. And then you've got his own daughter. His own daughter delivers the man who's going to overthrow him or you know, bring judgment upon him. So these five unexpected deliverers, God can deliver from unexpected places. Jochebed, Moses' mother, she, imagine her situation, okay, she becomes pregnant, she knows the decree, any boys need to be thrown into the Nile. She's got nine months worrying, what if this is a boy? What am I going to do? And then that day, which should be so happy, oh, you got a boy! probably, oh, oh, oh no, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? It would be tragic to bring up a child in a, in a time when actually he was immediately condemned to death. So him and his, uh, him, sorry, she and her husband, it says in, in the book of Hebrews, later on in the Bible, it says because they feared God more than Pharaoh, they hid the child three months. She hides the child and then she thinks, Okay, three months, I can't hide him any longer. What, what can I do? So she's had 12 months to think about this. And what she does is she gets a basket. Now, the name for basket in this story is Tiva in Hebrew. Tiva or Tiva, I'm not really sure how you pronounce it, but Tiva. And Tiva is only used to describe two objects in the Old Testament. Does anyone know what they are? I know David does. We've all been studying this. <laughs> anyone else know? No, okay. They are the basket that Moses is placed in, and Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark, okay? Noah's Ark is a story that happens before this one. So in Noah's story, 
God sees the violence on the earth, and he says, I'm going to wash it all away with a flood. Uh, but he warns Noah and his family and says, look, build an ark, a teva. Go into the ark with the animals, and you'll be safe. You'll be saved from the waters of death. So Jochebed, as she is preparing this basket, you can just imagine her praying, God, you've saved Noah from the waters of death. Save my son from the waters of death, from the Nile River. The, the waters of death, for her, is the Nile. For, for Noah, it was a sea or you know, a flood. God, save him like you saved Noah. She had faith based on, us, on what God had previously done. Our faith can be based on what he has done in this, in this book. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was able to save then. He's able to save today. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. <laughs> She's a woman of faith. Now, you imagine this going down the, the river, and his uh, courageous sister, Miriam, is watching what's going to happen. What's going to happen? And you imagine this floating down, and she sees, oh, there's Pharaoh's daughter. I would think, if I were her, please don't see the basket. Please don't see the basket. You imagine her thinking, well, what if she picks this up? And Well, then he's doomed. But the most unexpected person in the story, Pharaoh's daughter, becomes the deliverer. And she sees the basket. She has compassion on this child at the risk of her own life because she's rebelling against her father. You know, she could have been seen as treason. She counts this child's life as greater than her own. She picks it up. You know, she puts her own life at risk. And then Miriam... With her, her intelligence, her cunning, she sees this pity and she thinks, I've got a plan. Comes out of hiding, which has to take courage. I mean, if you're spying on the princess bathing and then you come out of hiding, that's like, well, <laughs> I mean, I don't think I would have the boldness to, to jump out of the reeds at that point. But she comes out of hiding and she says, can I go and get a nurse for you? Can I get someone to look after this baby? And Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, go. And then the most beautiful moment, in my opinion, is Jochebed coming to receive back her own son that she has surrendered to the waters, but in the basket. Receives him back and being told, can you go and look after this child? And I'm going to pay you for it. Wow. (laughs) Wow. She gets back the child she surrendered and she gets provided for. But it is costly for her because when the child grows up, she has to then give him up again. But he now has a future. He's got an education sorted for him. You know, he's going to be growing up in the palace. He's going to have food. He's going to have clothing. God completely turns around the situation for her because she has faith that the God who saved yesterday can save today. And she puts her her faith in this God. Now, as I've been thinking about this, there's one thing that just, um, as Jean-Paul and I were talking about, it really struck me. Okay. When Moses is born, he's born condemned. He's condemned to death. That's his, his future is death. He's born a slave. He goes into the basket a slave. He goes into the basket condemned. He's drawn out of the basket free. Okay. You're going to be set free. You're not going to be a part of a slave family anymore. He's drawn out and given life. He's drawn out and actually becomes royalty. He's given life. He's free. He becomes royal. This morning people were saying, you know, God adopts us. Yes, he does. Just as 
Uh, Pharaoh's daughter adopted Moses. God adopts us. This is a picture of what Jesus does for us. Now I'm just going to stick these on so that you can be just thinking about this, letting that sink into your heart. This is exactly what Jesus does for us. When we are born, we're born into a kind of slavery, but it's not a physical slavery. It's a slavery to sin. Sin affects all of us. We can't get away from it. We try not to sin, but we, but we will sin. We're slaves to it. We're captive to it. We, we actually are born, when we sin, we're condemned. Because the Bible's very clear. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus is for us. He doesn't give us a basket, but he gives us his cross. Those who put their trust in his cross get are set free. They are given they're made children of the king, and they're given life. If you would turn with me to um, John chapter 3, verse 16 to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Did you catch that? Jesus came into the world not to condemn it. You might think, oh, God just wants to tell me all the bad things I've done. No, he doesn't. He didn't come to condemn you. That was already your state before he came. This is what what you were born into. He came to save us. He came to set us free. And then in verse 19, it says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus gives us this. Jesus gives us freedom, he gives us royalty, we're adopted into the family of God, and he gives us life. And it was costly for him. Jesus was condemned so that we could be forgiven. Jesus was bound up so that we could be set free. Jesus was cursed so that we could be blessed. Jesus took the lowest place so that we could be made royalty. Jesus left his father's side so that we could be adopted as children of God. Jesus died so that we could be reborn to new life. Jesus went through the waters so that we could be delivered. And those whom the sun sets free are free indeed. Those whom the sun sets free are free indeed. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 If you are in Jesus, you are free indeed. And my question is, are you enjoying your freedom? Are you enjoying your freedom? You may think sometimes yes, and sometimes no, I don't feel free. Someone shared a word this morning about they don't always feel it. I think Dennis brought that. They don't always feel this freedom. Now, in that passage in John 3, 16 to 21, it talks about those who walk by the darkness, who do evil deeds, and they, they, they want to cover it up. They want to walk in darkness. And those who walk by the, the light. And what I find a really challenging example in Moses' birth story is Pharaoh's daughter. Because so far as we can tell, it was a very secluded situation. Her servants, it says, were walking along the riverbank. She's there with her slave, slave girl, slave woman. 
and she sees this basket. Now, I don't think anyone would have judged her if she saw the basket, saw the baby, and then said, I can't do anything about that. Because, you know, Pharaoh's my father. I wish he hadn't said that they all had to die, but really, someone else can look after the baby, but I can't. You know, she could have come up with many reasons why that is not possible. I cannot possibly do. I cannot possibly look after this child. And she was by herself. No one would have known, so far as she knows. She doesn't know that Miriam's watching her. You know, no one would have known. She could have just said, oh, that's such a shame. I saw this baby in a basket today. Oh, such a shame. You know, but she doesn't do that. She actually picks him up and does something about it. In the place where no one sees, do you honor God? That's my question. In the place that nobody sees, when you are by yourselves, when you're behind closed doors, in your families, in your homes, do you honor God? In, the, in your conversations with one another, with your spouse, with your children, you know, talking about your boss, talking about your colleagues, the things that you do, the things that you say. Do you honor God? Because if you don't, you won't be enjoying the freedom that God has for you. And it's not that God wants to come and condemn you. He's made it clear, I'm not coming to condemn the world. He's not come to slap you on, on the wrist and say, you know, be better. He wants us to enjoy the freedom that he's got for us. Brian shared, he chooses to remember our sins no more. He loves us. He chooses to remember our sins no more, but you won't enjoy the freedom if you are living a double life. You just won't enjoy it. And that can seem a bit scary. Okay, God sees everything we do. Do you know that? God sees everything we do. <laughs> he hears everything that you say. And that can seem scary. Ooh, really? I don't really want him to because it's you know, not all good. But the thing is, God sees you on your worst day and your best day, and he still loves you. He loves you the same on your worst day as he loves you on your best day. It's actually, all of the condemnation has gone. He just wants you to enjoy the freedom. He wants you to enjoy the life that he's given you. He's not here to condemn and to like rub your name in the dirt. That's not it. He wants to give you freedom and life. And um, fun fact for you, when, uh, when Jean-Paul and I were dating, I hardly ever wore makeup. And uh, partly because, right, I was quite conscious. I was like, I want him to know me. I don't want him to like love a, an improved version of myself. I want him to know who I am. And the first activity we did together, um, we weren't dating, we were just friends. Uh, it was supposed to be with another friend, but she was on the phone to her boyfriend, like the whole time. So anyways, it was just me and Jean-Paul. We played basketball together. And when I play sport, okay, I'm usually all in. Like, I, I'm in it to win it. I'm like, <laughs> we're playing sport, we're playing basketball. I'm stinky, I'm sweaty. I've got like a beetroot face. And hey, he stuck around. <laughs> and I didn't want to be fake with him. You know, we were very honest with each other about what we struggle with the things that we enjoy, our past, our present, our hopes for the future. We wanted each other to know each other, and we didn't want to... Because I, I wanted to know that he loved me and not, like, an image of me, not a, not a pretense of who I was. And in a relationship like that, you can have confidence that even if you do have a rubbish day, he's, he's still there. <laughs> he's still sticking around. He still loves me, and I love him, and we see each other's, you know... Best days and worst days, we still love each other. God loves us like that. In fact, that to an even greater degree. 
He sees everything. He sees the worst thought you've ever had, and he still says, I love you. I love you. I don't love everything you think, or everything you do, or everything you say, but I love you. You are my child, and that's never going to change. Once you are in Christ, you are in Christ forever. It's never going to change. When Moses was adopted, that was a status change. He was no longer a slave. He was no longer condemned. That had gone. He's now free and free forever because he's been adopted by the princess. He's royalty because he's been adopted by the princess. Adoption isn't a temporary thing. It's permanent. You're adopted. You're adopted into God's family. It's permanent. God loves you and he loves you forever. But he wants to help you and he wants you to enjoy your freedom. So, God wants us to enjoy our freedom. This morning we have been um, praying for strongholds to be broken. And to be honest, that's where I wanted to land, so that's fine. Um, We've already been doing half the work this morning, which is great. Um, And how I think I'd love us to respond to this is just to let the Holy Spirit search our hearts and just say, God, I want to be open with you. Open with you about the things I struggle with, the times when I feel like, okay, I've let, I've let people down, I've let you down, and just say, God, help me. Because God is a God who wants to help us. He's not a God who wants to condemn us. He came into the world to save us, to help us. We're his beloved children. So if we need courage this morning, that actually the God who saved Noah and saved Moses can save us in our situation, whatever it is. If you need courage, let's ask God for courage. If you need to know that you're loved, and actually sometimes you struggle to believe that, you struggle to realize you're adopted and it's permanent, he's not going to kick you out again. If you need to know that you're loved, let's pray for that. If you need strongholds to be broken, you know there are things that happen in the dark that needs to be brought into the light, then let's pray for that. Because God loves us. He loves us. And there's this verse in Isaiah 43, which I'm just going to end with. It says, But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. If you're in Christ, God has called you by name. You are his You are his. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through trouble, when you go through difficulty, go through trial, he will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. The God who saved Noah and his family, the God who saved Moses and his family, is the same God who saves me and saves you. And we're adopted as children of God. Amen? Amen. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you that you've adopted us. I thank you that you're our father. I thank you that the, it's a permanent status change. That we are no longer free. Uh, we, sorry, we're no longer slaves. We are free. <laughs> we're no longer condemned to death. We have life in Jesus. We have been made royalty in Jesus. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Holy Spirit, we just give the ministry time to you and we just say, Lord God, you are welcome here. We thank you. We thank you that you break chains off us. You want us to enjoy the freedom that, we, that you have gained for us.
And I pray that you will lead us onwards this morning and this week and through our lives into greater and greater freedom, into more and more light, Lord God, and that we would have courage to confess before you and maybe to one or two trusted people what it is that we need help with, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.